like to welcome all of you who are here tonight and those of you who are watching from home. Uh, we are grateful uh, to have everyone listening tonight. We are in a second message on the subject of Revelation. We're not talking about the book of Revelation, uh, but instead the things that are revealed. Remember that our key verse was Deuteronomy chapter 29 and verse 29. that says the secret things belong to the Lord our God, but the things which are revealed belong to us and our children forever that we may do them. The things that are revealed... And we're going to be looking at some of the things over the next few weeks that are specifically spoken of in Scripture as having been revealed or declared or shown to us. And tonight we're going to be looking in 1 Corinthians chapter 2 and verse 9. But as it is written, I have not seen nor ear heard, neither have entered into the heart of man the things which God hath prepared for them that love him. But... God hath revealed them unto us by his Spirit. For the Spirit searcheth all things, yea, the deep things of God. And so the things that are revealed tonight that we'll spend some time looking at are the things referred to in this passage as the deep things of God. The deep things of God. Now, these are things that Paul has specifically said were not for the elite. The princes of the world did not know these things because he said, had they known it, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. I've often thought of how frustrating it must be for the devil because it seems like every time he has something going, he comes to find out that God had already been way out ahead of him and had everything planned out so that whatever he tried to do was actually actually helping the progress and plans of God along. Uh, it seems that way over and over and over in Scripture, all the way back to that most ancient of books, the books of, book of Job. Uh, imagine if uh, the devil would have known how that book was going to end. I don't think he had ever brought Job up at all. Do you? I just don't think it would have happened. And Paul here said, if they would have known what God was doing, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. Somebody would have sat around and said, you know, I don't think we need to do this. <laughs> if we do this, something bad is going to happen. But the elites did not know. Uh, the princes did not know. The people in power, the ones that you would expect to know, didn't know. They had no idea of what was going on. Now, we usually quote this passage of Scripture around funerals and we act like it refers to heaven. And in a way, I guess it kind of does because certainly God has some glorious things that are prepared for us, things that we cannot imagine. Uh, that is true. Uh, but in the context, he was talking actually more about that great work and plan of redemption and how God was working that out through the cross of Jesus Christ. But as he does this, then he gives us these general principles. There are things that uh, God reveals, not to the elites, not to the rulers of the world, not to the people uh, that we might expect to receive such marvelous revelation and visitation from God. Uh, but instead, he has shown it, notice, to them who love him. Isn't that a great, great passage? We say that love is blind. I've even heard some people say that love is, is deaf and dumb and, and can't feel very well either. I, I don't know about all that. 
but I know that we love God. And because we love God, this passage says that God shows us things about himself that he doesn't show to everybody. Reveals things to us about him and his purpose and his plans, about his heart that are available only to those who love him. What a great passage. Now, Paul is probably thinking of Isaiah 64 and 4 when he makes this statement. For since the beginning of the world, men have not heard nor perceived by the ear, neither hath the eye seen, O God, beside thee, what he hath prepared for him that waits for him. Now, when you look at Isaiah's glorious prophecy, you understand that uh, we call it the gospel of Isaiah for a reason. Isaiah had a lot of vision about the glory of the Son of God and the coming of the Messiah. Some of the great messianic prophecies we find in the Old Testament come from the book of Isaiah. We had the privilege earlier this year of looking at a lot of these. So I'm not going to go back over them all tonight for you. Just want to remind you what a great prophet of the Messiah that Isaiah was. And yet Simon Peter, many years later, would write about the Old Testament prophets and how that they were searching out what manner of time it was that the Spirit was when he was speaking to them about the suffering of the Christ and the glory that should follow. They struggled. They struggled to understand how that Jesus was going to come and suffer and yet how he was also going to be the Messiah and the King of kings and Lord of lords. Uh, the reason why they understood or struggled to understand some of those things is because even to those Old Testament prophets, it wasn't all revealed. God didn't tell them everything. It wasn't time yet. But he told them a lot. And so they saw the Messiah and they saw what was coming. And it was to these things that Isaiah addresses himself in Isaiah 64 uh, that eyes have not seen, uh, ear has not heard. God, it, it, we just don't know what you have prepared for us. There was a lot of things that they didn't know. And I just have to interject this for us tonight. Aren't you glad we live on this side of Calvary? Aren't you glad we live on this side uh, of the revelation of Jesus Christ as the Messiah? Of seeing him. But we see Jesus made a little lower, the writer of the book of Hebrews said, made a little lower than the angels for the suffering of death, crowned with glory and honor. So much we see tonight. So again, it's not for the elite rulers. But it, he also says that it's not for the ordinary senses. It's not for the eye. We use our eyes for studious research and examination. Examination of evidence. You know what it's like to study to laboriously study, to learn something that is critical for you to learn. If you thought, if you were, if I ever thought, and I'm not sure that I ever did, but if I ever thought that when I graduated from seminary, my, my days of studying would be over, I, I have long since rethought that thinking. I know better. Uh, being a pastor is like uh, being a student forever. And uh, I'm sure that all of you could say the same thing about the career, the vocation that you have. You have to keep learning. And there's always things that you have to study and you have to learn. And you know what it's like then to look at something and to studiously research this and examine it. But this is not something that you can learn by examination. The eye 
would never pick up on it. No matter how carefully you scrutinize this, this is not something that the eye would see. The ear then things, speaks of things that we learn from other teachers. And this speaks to us of our education. So if the eye speaks to us of our examination, and it does, then the ear would speak to us of our education. The things that we learn, we're taught from other people. You've sat in a classroom perhaps and had some teacher take you through something that you had struggled with to understand. And suddenly that light of illumination comes on in your mind. Oh, yes, I, I see. I understand. Someone taught you. You might have read it in a book. You might have studied it. But there was just something about seeing it play out. You may have that experience when you sit in church and you listen to the Word of God expounded. And you say, oh, I see. I understand. We're taught things. And we learn things. And the ear speaks in of what we are taught, what we learn from others. That is our education. But there are things that God has not revealed to us. The eye would never search it out. The eye would never find it. No matter how careful, no matter how laboriously you study, you're not going to find it. The ear would not learn it. <laughs> There's not any other human teacher that can teach it. They don't know it either. It's not then for the heart. So it's not for the ordinary senses. But it's also not for the heart. Where our dreams and our hopes and our aspirations, our will, our, our determinations for life are, are all reside. Our, our heart. And if the eye speaks of examination and the ear speaks of our education, the heart of course, would speak of our imagination. Neither has it entered into the heart of man. Eye has not seen, ear has not heard. Neither has entered into the heart of man our imagination. The things that God has prepared for him that love him. But God has revealed them unto us, he says, verse 10, 11, by his spirit. So what the ordinary senses, the eye and the ear, could not discover, what the heart could not dream or imagine, God reveals by His Spirit. And he tells us that we can understand then as God's people those things that are freely given. I love that word, freely given to us of God. We think about those Old Testament prophets that bring them up again and how they were earnestly seeking to know. I mean, how they lived their whole lives trying to figure this thing out and never could. And yet it is something freely given to us. There's something about God's revelation to us of himself, folk, that can only be received you can't dig it out. You can't pry it out. You can't think it out. You can't imagine it out. But God freely gives it to us. And he gives it to us in such a way that it might be understood. Obviously, Jesus is God's ultimate revelation to us of himself. In Hebrews chapter, uh, chapter 1, he is described as being the brightness of his glory 
and the expressed image, that is the die impress of his person. And I made that move because oftentimes the signet ring uh, would be pressed into uh, wax that was riveted and it would leave that die impress. That was the uh, most frequent way that that word in Hebrews chapter 1 is used. Jesus was the expressed image of the person of God. Uh, that is, he was fully man. He was fully God. And I love what Dr. Tony Evans said. Jesus came to put God on a shelf that we could reach. He was the image of the invisible God. No man hath seen God at any time, and yet they beheld his glory. The glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. Jesus would say to Thomas, if you'd seen me, you'd seen the Father. If you'd known me, you would have known the Father also. Jesus is God's ultimate revelation to us of himself as the brightness of his glory and the expressed image of his person. And so tonight, we want to spend a few moments thinking about some of the passages of Scripture that speak to us of this incredible revelation that God has given to us of Himself, the deep things of God. And we start out with the glory of this revelation, the glory of this revelation. Jeremiah chapter 9 and verse 23, very famous passage. Thus says the Lord, Let not the wise man glory in his wisdom, let not the mighty man glory in his might. Nor let the rich man glory in his riches. But let him who glories glory in this, that he understands and knows me. That I am the Lord, exercising loving kindness, judgment, and righteousness in the earth. For in these I delight, says the Lord. Some things that the prophet tells us not to glory in is under the revelation of God and inspiration of God. As God speaks through him, let not the wise man glory in his wisdom. Certainly that's one thing we glory in. It's wisdom. Uh, not just information, but the application, the ability to use that information. But let not the wise man glory in his wisdom. Now, if you've taken a course of study, if you've graduated from high school, it, it, you know, we pat ourselves a little on the back when we graduate from high school. We do. We graduate from college. Yep, there's another one. Get a master's. There's another one. Get a doctor's. There's another one. But when we've got all of it, the Bible says, let not the wise man glory in his wisdom. There's glory in education. Don't get me wrong. I'm not being anti-education tonight. Not at all. Not in the least. There's glory in that. But there's something more glorious than that. Here's a mighty man who glories in his might. And of course there's two ways at least that a man can be mighty. There is the might that comes from physical strength. Now, how many of you young guys, or guys about my age or so, or, or so grew up uh, reading about that Charles Atlas course? Any of y'all ever read about that one? Y'all remember that one? Uh, some of you younger folks don't remember that. Look up Charles Atlas course on Google. Not now. Some other time. Yeah, I tell you what, it was a, a pretty good thing. It was a, something, a miracle called dynamic tension. 
And uh, you can ask me some other time about how I know so much about it. But I, I tell you, it was, it was something that as a young boy, it really appealed to you. You wanted to be strong. You wanted to be able to take care of all the bullies and keep anybody from pushing you around. To be strong and mighty. There's that kind of might and strength. There's a place for it. There, of course, is the might of, of political power and strength. Authority is what the Bible calls it. When a policeman walks out in the street and holds his hand up like this and you stop, he did not stop you by physical power. He stopped you by authoritative power. Authority. And that's another way that a person then can be mighty. To have authoritative power. There's a place for power. There's a place for strength. It is one thing to glory in that, but there is something more glorious than that. There's a place for glorying in your education and in your wisdom. Yes, but there's something more glorious than that. The third great uh, goal that the prophet puts before us in is the goal of wealth. Let the rich man, not let the rich man glory in his riches. Is there glory in the accumulation of wealth? Absolutely. Is there glory in the accumulation of things? Yes. We might think uh, that the Bible tells us that money is evil. The Bible doesn't say that. The Bible says love of money is the root of all evil. Isn't that what it says? That's greed. Greed. There are many people that God has blessed. And, uh, of course, by the standards of most of the people in the world, that would include just about everybody in this country. Uh, blessed with riches and wealth. But whatever they might be, and to whatever degree that we might be able to accumulate them, is there glory and wealth? Absolutely there is glory and wealth, but there is something far greater, something far more glorious than our education or our wisdom, far more glorious than our strength, far more glorious than our wealth. God says, you glory in the fact that you understand and know me. What a glorious thing it is to know God, to know who God is, and then to go even beyond that to understand what he is and what he's like. I am the Lord exercising loving kindness, number one. Judgment's there, yes. Righteousness. Loving kindness, righteousness, and judgment. For in these things I delight, saith the Lord. So there is the glory of that revelation. The glory of knowing and understanding God. Then there is, secondly, a danger. A danger of rejecting revelation. Uh, this is in Hosea chapter 4 and verse 6 where God says, My people are destroyed for lack of knowledge. Because you have rejected knowledge. Ignorance is one thing. Ignorance comes sometimes because people cannot learn. And there are people who simply can't learn very much. I won't say they can't learn anything because... They might be limited, but they can learn. 
Sometimes people are ignorant of things because they can't really learn well. I, I used to think, Brother Bill, that everybody could sing if we'd just teach them just right. They'd all be able to sing. Until I started in trying to help some people sing. And they just can't do it. They just can't. I don't know what it is that allows a person who can sing to hear a song and hear themselves and be able to somehow make those things come together. But whatever that something is, some folks don't have it. Now, it doesn't mean they can't make a joyful noise unto the Lord. I'm not trying to discourage you. It, just, it does mean that maybe you won't be a solo singer. Okay? But you can make a joyful noise unto the Lord. Not everybody can sing. Not everybody can learn. There's an ignorance that is based on the inability to learn. Some years ago, I visited a South Pacific island. And uh, these were a group of people who some years before had uh, rejected Western education in favor of returning to their tribal ways. First one generation, then another, then a third was raised without reading, without writing, without learning how to add or subtract or multiply or divide, no education at all. I watched grown men sit around in meetings that I was preaching at, teaching at. They loved to wear glasses because they saw so many of us wearing glasses. They'd put those glasses on and they'd hold a book in their hand. They could no more read that book than I could tell you how many stars are in the sky. It's hard to teach people who can't read. Not saying they can't learn. So there is, a, there is a, a lack of knowledge that comes because people are ignorant. And, and some that struggle to learn. And maybe uh, they have limited themselves. Maybe by some of the things that they've done. That happens. That's not what God is warning about through the prophet Hosea. It's not a people who can't learn. But a people who won't learn. And you all have dealt with people like that. And sometimes you and I perhaps have been that person who just won't learn. And make the same mistake again and again and again. This is a matter then of rebellion as they had rejected the knowledge of God. And imagine what a horrible thing that is. What a terrible thing it is. For God to set out to show us himself. To show us about his nature. To show us his loving kindness and judgment and righteousness. To teach us about who he is and what he plans to do. And we say, nope, not interested. <laughs> Where's my remote? I, <laughs> there's a ball game on. I, not interested. The end result of it is spoken of in Isaiah chapter 1 and verse 3. The ox knoweth his owner and the ass his master's crib. But Israel doth not know. My people doth not consider. <clears throat> I 
Another great lesson that we learn is that the honor of revelation goes to the revealer. Matthew chapter 11 and verse 25. At that time, Jesus answered and said, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and prudent and have revealed them to babes. Even so, Father, for it seemed good in your sight, all things have been delivered to me by my Father, and no one knows the Son except the Father, nor does anyone know the Father except the Son, and the one to whom the Son wills to reveal him. Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 8 and verse 1, knowledge puffeth up, but love edifies. Love builds up. Knowledge puffs up, blows up, but love builds up. There's something about knowledge that makes us want to exalt ourselves just a little bit. And thus we have this passage, Matthew chapter 11, that reminds us uh, that the honor in all this has not come upon myself. Oh, yeah, God showed me something. Oh, if you've got that attitude, you need to lose it. (laughs) Uh, God shows it to who? Babes. Babes. Hidden these things from the wise and the prudent and has revealed them unto babes lastly tonight we notice that when it comes to revelation we see the patience and the gentleness of God at work Matthew 11 and 28 says come to me all you that labor and are heavy laden and I will give you rest take my yoke upon you and learn from me for I am meek and lowly at heart and you will find rest for your souls for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. You know, it's very, very difficult to be patient with someone who is completely unlearned of something that you're trying to tell them how to do. If you're a master mechanic dealing with somebody who doesn't know the difference between a screwdriver and a socket wrench, you're going to have a little bit of a struggle trying to show that person what to do. Uh, if you're a farmer and, uh, and you are uh, making rice levies all the time and, and, and shoveling out those rice levies, somebody can bring along a shovel and say, I'm going to help you. Uh, but the chances are pretty good that along the way, that farmer at some point in time is going to say, here, why don't you just hold your shovel a minute, get out of the way <laughs> and let me do this. It's hard to be patient with somebody who doesn't have a clue of what they're doing. You think anybody can shovel. Obviously, you've never been in the rice field with a rice farmer. Uh, They have a technique that's just amazing. You'd have to see it to see it, to know it. That goes along with anything. It can be very, very difficult for us to be patient with someone who really doesn't know anything. I want you to stop for just a moment tonight and just imagine, just think with me for just a second, what it is like for the omnipotent, omniscient God to try to explain himself to folks like us. Think about it. Aren't you glad we've got this passage of Scripture that tells us that God is meek and lowly? He tells us to take my yoke upon you. And that, uh, you see, that's, that's a yoke of, of service. It, it pictures a team of oxen or mules or horses or anything yoked together. So that we get to learn of God by walking with him. Listening to him. We get to learn and we learn so much. 
by watching him do it. How patient he must be to partner up with us, yoke up with us, and then say to us, my, my yoke is easy. <laughs> I'm not going to overload you. How many of you know that in the revelation of the deep things of God, God could overload us in a hurry? Oh, that's like uh, putting a four-ounce cup under your 10-ounce keg. I mean, it's just going to run out everywhere. God is patient, meek, and lowly, gentle with us. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. The greatest revelation of God is through Jesus Christ. And what Jesus reveals to us is the love and the kindness of God. How much he cares for you and me. How much he loves you and me. And I'm glad to be able to stand in this place at this moment in time and address all of you and all those, however many who might be listening from home, and tell you God loves you. And I don't say that by theory or by conjecture. I say it because I look at the cross of Calvary and I know how much God loves you. That Jesus would come to this world that God then would move in such an incredible way to show us, to reveal us, to us, the deep things about himself. What a great privilege it is to love and to serve him. But I wonder tonight, do you know Jesus as your Savior? Because that's where it all begins. That time where you realize, as we talked about this morning, that we are under the curse that you've sinned against God. That Jesus Christ died on the cross for your sins. And you call upon him and ask him to save you. If you've done that, then have you followed the Lord in baptism? We're so grateful tonight for Mitchell. We're going to baptize him in a few moments and hope the water's warm. Uh, but, uh, I just appreciated him this morning because uh, he said, Can I be baptized tonight? And we kind of said, Well, I don't know. I don't know. We might, uh, might ought to have to wait till after Christmas. Oh, his face just fell. I thought he was going to cry. Uh, sometimes a little child, forgive me, Mitchell, for using you as an example, but sometimes you give us a good example, son. Uh, there's a lot of grown people that's been saved maybe for many years that have never followed the Lord in baptism. You need to do that. Uh, we have another example here tonight of what I've told you again. It takes me five hours to fill up that tank and get it warm. If you'll give me five hours, then we'll make baptism a reality for you. We need to follow the Lord in baptism if we've been saved. Not because it saves us, but because it shows to the world that we are saved. And we follow the Lord Jesus. And we're going to live a life of obedience to him. Maybe you need a church home. I don't know what's on your heart. We're going to stand together. I'm going to lead in a prayer. Brother Bill is going to come then and lead us in a song of invitation. This is your time to respond as the Spirit of God leads.